Father, we thank you that you are here and you are present. We thank you for every promise that comes through your word to us. We thank you for your spirit that's been poured out upon us. And we ask right now that you would cordon off this property, that anything that would bring confusion or anger or bitterness or shame or anything like that would just be pushed back, that you would be in control of this property in this moment right now for the sake of your glory. And we pray that you would put back Jason, that anything that comes out of me that is not of you, Father God, any 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 body language, anything like that that is not glorifying to you, that that would just go away. That would just be forgotten. We pray that you would, you would emerge from the next few moments, these words, uh, and the rest of this service as well. We love you so much. That song is true. We love you. And the closer we get to you, the more we realize we need you. So come, glorify yourself, convict our hearts, Lead us as your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we are talking about desiring overflow. We've been talking about this for weeks. I think next week is our last sermon in this series. And it's all about Romans 15, 13. Um, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Very pivotal little phrase right in the middle of them of, of that verse. Just trusting the Lord, giving your life to him, letting him uh, lead you and all that kind of stuff. So that you may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that verse. Just love it. I've memorized that for years. I've got it on a keychain. It's just just a great verse. And we've talked about sort of this idea of having a glass full of dirty water. And you stick it under a, a running faucet. And eventually that running water will push out all of the impurities out of the glass. And that's the idea that we are exploring here of being filled to overflowing by our God of hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That um, filled with, we're filled with the living water, and in that process we are, we are transformed, we are changed, we are sanctified, if you want to use that churchy language, uh, by the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Christ. And not that we lose individuality, by the way, but it's just that we, are, we, we take on the character and the heart of God within our own personalities, you know. Um, but we're not changed, and we say, we've said this many times in, at 6-8, and I'll say it many times again. We're not changed for personal blessing, just for personal blessing. Of, of course, God wants to bless us. We've, we've explored that in the past. But there's a broader sort of purpose to our filling that goes beyond just ourselves and, and our enjoyment of the Lord, which we should, right? We, and we see this in that image of the five-tiered fountain. If you go driving down to Ardmore, right on the corner by the Bryn Mawr Trust Company, there's a five-tiered fountain. And uh, I hope every time you drive by it, you're going to um, remember this and think about this, right? Um, so the Holy Spirit is filling us up, right? And it's overflowing first to family and friends, our spheres of influence, people that we know, uh, then out to the local community. I want to say David Wegman, at least David, I'm not sure if anybody else went, but David Wegman was out there sharing on the streets in Upper Darby yesterday. He might share a little bit of that later. Um, but 
you know, it, it's out to the local community and then out into the world, to all the people groups, the ethnic groups of the world, the nations as, as Scripture defines them. So overflow is this natural, wonderful process, not forced, not awkward. Sometimes, like what David did yesterday, you have to get used to doing some things. But um, it, it just happens as we trust in God, right? Um, and the, 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 both the, the wonderful thing and the scary thing is that what we're filled with overflows to others. And I've had, you know, long conversations with people. Sometimes you just go through a bad spell and what you're, what you're overflowing is not what you want to be overflowing, right? And, and so, but, but we want to be brimming with Jesus. We want to be filled with hope and peace and joy, right? And think about that. That is uber important. Um, if you think about it, that's what you want to be filled with and overflowing to others. But man, man, sometimes it's hard, right? Because you're living in a world that just seeks to suck that right out of you, doesn't it? Just seeks to take all that joy away, all that peace away, and all that hope away. So walking with Jesus is simple, but it's not easy sometimes, right? So we are filled with uh, what, what John has called living water, which is found definitely in three things. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ himself. It's found in the, the written word of God, I think. And then also it is found in the person of the Holy Spirit. Three different areas, right? John 7 says, whoever believes in me, Jesus says this, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them, Right? And then John explains that further. He says, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus has not yet been glorified. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given. Right? And today we're going to look at that event a little bit more closely when the Holy Spirit was given to the church in the first few chapters of Acts. Um, You know, in Acts 1... Luke begins by quoting Jesus after his resurrection and before his ascension when he says in Acts 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's that fountain image laid out very clearly for us in Scripture, right? Acts 1.8, and you remember, if you don't do Acts 1.8, you get Acts 8.1. You can go look that up later. We, we already talked about that a few weeks back. But anyway, so, um, but there's that fountain image, right? The Holy Spirit filling you up, uh, you go, going out to your Jerusalem, your local friends and family, out to your Judea and Samaria, out to your local community, and then out to the ends of the earth, the, the world, all the nations of the earth, the people groups of the world. And I want you to notice that this idea of filling and overflow is at the very core of God's plan for us. Let me say that twice. This idea of filling and overflow is at the very core of God's plan for us. It absolutely is. But what does that mean? That's a question that these people are going to ask later, and we'll see that. But Let's set the scene first. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He met with the disciples, and now he's ascended to heaven. And uh, remember, we've pointed out that Jesus uh, said it was better that he leave in order that the Holy Spirit might come to them. He said this in John chapter 16. 
But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Right? Jesus said that. And we looked at that two weeks ago. We looked at that verse. But let's continue from, from there to hear more about this spirit in John chapter 16 verses 8 through 15 it says when the Holy Spirit when he the Holy Spirit comes he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment the world seeks to define what their what their sin is right we all everybody out there is saying well that's not sin for me that might be sin for you it's not sin for me now that's not true. I want, you know I want to say another word right there. But uh, it's not true. God defines what sin is. And Jesus says he will prove the world to be, the, be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Amen to that. Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Woo. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. There's a lot there, right? Jesus made clear that he's, uh, and I'm not going to do it justice, by the way, but he's, he's made clear that he's le- he's leaving, his leaving allowed for the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus himself uh, would send, would come, right? That he would, he would send him. He's outlined the convicting work of the Spirit, which related directly to the work and the person of Jesus Christ, all right? It's always tied. First, He says the Holy Spirit will convict the world in the area of sin that results from disbelief in Jesus. So it's tied to him. Second, the Holy Spirit will convict the world in the area of righteousness in light of the life of Jesus. The third, the Holy Spirit will convict the world in the area of judgment because Jesus defeated Satan who now stands condemned. That only through the Holy Spirit can an individual be brought to repentance from a sinful life leading to faith. Remember, it's not about doing good things at all to get right with God. It is the work of Jesus on the cross or the work of the Spirit in our life, the work of the the convicting Word of God in our lives and all that. The Holy Spirit enables the follower of Christ to live out this Christ life. Very, Very clearly put here. The Spirit of truth will guide them into all the disciplines uh, guide the disciplines into all our us into the disciplines of truth and and how we live it out and and all that stuff his his purpose will be to reveal christ right that's his purpose is to reveal christ i'm really wondering never never mind i won't say that but his his purpose is to reveal christ that's i think that's like probably one of the most central things about this, right? The, the, the mark of the work of the Holy Spirit, to me, then is whether Christ is made central and glorified. Whether or not Christ is made central and glorified. 
right, in my life and in your life and in the church. Uh, the Spirit's work isn't limited to all these little things here, obviously, I don't think. But we can see that just from that quick list that it is an extremely po- important relationship. I wouldn't even say an issue because it's not an issue. It's a relationship with the Spirit of God in our lives, right? And, and, and it's intimately tied. All, everything is intimately tied to the person and work of Jesus, And remember, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Because Jesus goes to the Father, because we have the Spirit, wonderful things happen, right? So the disciples wait. They're waiting with these promises in hand. So to speak. Oh, what a cutie. Look at that little baby back there. A big old bow on her head. Um, but so the disciples wait with these promises in hand, right? Maybe a little deflated, maybe a little sheepish, maybe kind of pensive, sort of confused. But what Jesus promises comes about, right? What he promised them comes about when we see a great change in the disciples and we see that they do do great things, right? Whenever you write that sentence, do, do, you're like, what, like, am I writing this correctly? They they do do great things, right? It says in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, when the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost, five cost, it's going to cost me five times as much, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) sorry, I should not make those comments. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Right? In other words... Aren't all these guys, these guys don't know our language, right? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Right? People were converting to Judaism, right, from all these different nations. Cretans and Arabs who hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Love that. What in the world is going on? What does this mean? And then verse 13, somehow we made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. They're drunk. And I think there's always a comedian. They're probably Philadelphians that said that, right? Just, just you know, the jerks. He probably had an eagle shirt on. He's probably like, oh, too much wine, you know. But, but if you ask yourself, ask yourself the question: What is Pentecost, right? 
What is Pentecost? And why did the Spirit come then? What's the purpose of this? Right? Now, Pentecost was the Greek name for the Jewish celebration at the end of the seven weeks following Passover. Right? And you may not even know what Passover is. And I think, if I don't pronounce, mispronounce it, I think it's called Shavuot. If, if, if there's somebody that knows how to pronounce that word, you can, you can reprimand me later if I got it wrong. But, or the Festival of Weeks, and that's the term I'm going to use from now on because it's much easier. But it comes 50 days or seven weeks after Passover, this Festival of Weeks, right? And so you might remember that Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room 50 days before Pentecost. Right. And so Passover was a celebration of Israel's liberation from Egypt when they had uh, painted the doorposts of their homes with the blood of the lamb. Or, so, because the angel of death wandered the streets of Egypt, taking the firstborn son of every family there. Right. And so to, in order to protect their home, they painted the doorposts with a sac- the blood of a sacrificial, sacrificial lamb. So this blood of this sacrifice on the doorpost of Jewish homes averted the wrath of God. So the angel of death passed over. That's why we call it Passover. That house. And it was a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus which averts the wrath of God on all of us, right? So being covered in Jesus' blood, God's wrath passes over us. Wonderful image. And we remember Jesus was crucified soon after he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And uh, once a month, we remember that at the Lord's table uh, here at 6-8. And so everything surrounding Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension and, and, and now the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter uh, 1 and 2 is impregnated with imagery to speak very clearly to the Jewish mind, to those Jewish people gathered there that day, right? Whether or not they had adopted into it or they were, you know, born into Judaism, right? So we find res- reference to the festival of weeks in Leviticus and Exodus and at the time of the giving of the law. And also in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 9 through 12, it says, Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. So they're harvesting, right? And then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female, female servants, the Levites in your towns, <clears throat> and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. So, looking at the festival of weeks, which came to be known as Pentecost, penta meaning 50, uh, we notice a few things. Right. We notice a few things because everything surrounding the time, uh, this time, this this event and all this stuff was impregnated with imagery. And it was all meant to speak to the Jewish mind there. Right. Number one, the beginning of this 50 day cycle is marked by a cutting down of barley and wheat. Right. So it's it's a harvest time. And at the end of the 50 days is a celebration of what that life or that harvest would bring, 
right? It brings that life, right? And, we, and we've got to remember that Jesus is reflected throughout the whole Old Testament, throughout all the scriptures. His death is mirrored in the cutting down or the, or the, or the death of the wheat, right? And the harvest of the wheat seven weeks later images the life uh, his death brings us. Right? It's wonderful. Number two, the festival also commemorates the giving of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai 50 days uh, after Israel was delivered from slavery. And uh, slavery in Egypt. And remember, Israel was enslaved. The, the Passover occurs. Uh, <clears throat> lambs are sacrificed for that. Blood was put on the doorposts. Uh, of the Israelite homes, and God's judgment was averted on those homes. The angel of death passed over them, right? And so Jesus' death, his resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost are also a celebration of our liberation from bondage as slaves as a result of his blood shed for us, right? Shed for our sin. Um, Jesus' giving of himself and our receiving of the Holy Spirit reflects the fact that Israel was given the law at Mount Sinai 50 days after their deliverance from Egypt, right? The law was given to Moses and Israel uh, at Mount Sinai. It was inscribed in stone. You know, you, 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 you watch the old movie from the 1950s or whatever it is. Now do the work of Jesus on the cross and in receiving the Holy Spirit into our lives, the living word is now inscribed on the hearts of mankind, right? So it's... It's inscribed on us. That's pretty cool. Number four, the Festival of Weeks was one of three festivals of ingathering where Israel came together to rejoice uh, at the place that God dwelled, and that would be the temple, right? And for us, we are called to rejoice in the knowledge that the Holy Spirit has was given to us at Pentecost and that we've been We've, we've, we've become the living temple of God. You know, individuals and, and the body of Christ have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God, the Holy Spirit, now resides in his people. That's a pretty profound thought. First Corinthians chapter 6 says, Did you, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Number five, on Passover, the people of Israel were freed from their enslavement of Egypt, right? Uh, and, and on the festival of weeks, they were given the Torah, they were given the law of God at Mount, Mount Sinai and became a nation bound by covenant promise to God. And in Christ, there is this new everlasting covenant established based on the sacrifice of God's own son for us. Number six, the seven weeks started with the harvesting of barley and wheat and ended with an offering of bread. And we also have this term that we identify Jesus as the bread of life. The, number seven, the book of Ruth is read at the Festival of Weeks. And, and in that story, she was a convert. She was a foreigner that had adopted into the family of God. Right. She had married into it, so to speak. And, and even when, you know, she's alone later, she still chooses to stay. Ruth signifies God's heart for the foreigner to be included in, to be adopted into the family of God. And in Jesus, the good news is proclaimed, starting right here in the first couple chapters of Acts, to all the nations. 
right? All the nations of the earth. And that is continued in the Great Commission for the church that we are to be out reaching all these nations. Therefore, against all the backdrop, all the backdrop of, of, of all this rich, wonderful imagery, which you will promptly forget, probably, <laughs> everything I just said, but get the essence of what I'm saying, right? We have Jews from all these nations, right, gathered at the temple of God. You remember they had been uh, scattered for various reasons. They had been scattered out to the nations, and they had, they had become, that's become home with these different ethnic groups, and they'd learned their languages, and now they're back, right, for the festival weeks. So they're out there, and they're gathered at the temple of God. They had gathered from all over the known world, so to speak, and these disciples are sitting there, having been filled with the living word, having been filled with Jesus, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're effortlessly overflowing this to these people surrounding them, right? Our image of the fountain is absolutely complete right here. Absolutely complete. All the nations gathered at the temple, the diaspora had come together and received the first fruits of overflow. And everyone would leave there that day and go back home, back to their families, back to their communities far away, uh, to their host nations, to their host people groups, back to their friends, back to their communities, back to the world to overflow this message of Christ, right? And this power to those people back there. What does this mean? That's what this means, right? 120 believers were gathered there that day. Acts 1.15 says it. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. It's not many people. 120 believers, right? Gathered before the nations of the earth. That's it. Filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, overflowing to those around, around them, preaching the word of God, some of them paying with their lives for it. So if you've ever wondered if God can move through you as an individual or for, through a church this size, amen, he can. He did it in Acts chapters 1 and 2. And you notice what follows, right? You notice what follows. If we had time to read it all, we would. Peter, uh, filled with the Spirit, filled with the knowledge of the Scriptures, you know, takes the opportunity to stand up and tie all that's happening back to the story of God, the Word of God, the Hebrew Scriptures. He quotes the prophet Joel. He quotes David from all their Hebrew Scriptures, right? So it's not just about supernatural power. But it is also, the Spirit also works in conjunction with the living Word of God, with the truth of of God's Word. It's never untethered from that, right? Everything the Spirit does is tied to the biblical narrative. If if we want to have fellowship with and and in the Spirit, if we want to have fellowship in the Spirit, we must value and we must love the Word of God. Even if we don't fully understand it sometimes and people peter reveals to the crowd that prophecy of the hebrew scriptures is being fulfilled right before their eyes prophecy about jesus prophecy about them so this filling of the holy spirit on peter 
and all the other believers there resulted in this natural sort of powerful overflow of biblical truth concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Spirit enabled and empowered Peter to reveal the the kingdom of God among them. That was pretty cool. And this event happens together, right? As a church, as a body, as believers together, not alone. There are no lone cowboys in the kingdom of God. It's not how it works. It happened in a certain time for certain reasons and all pregnant with imagery. All of it pregnant with imagery. Jesus' story is adorned with the clothing of the Hebrew texts. The whole story. Everything about him is laden with imagery from their lives, be it as mundane as bread, right? Or profound as the sacrifice of that lamb at Passover, right? Wherever they looked, whatever they celebrated, if they drank a glass of water, if they ate a piece of bread, if they rubbed a kid's head, if they saw a Samaritan walking down the street, if they thought about Caesar Augustus, whatever it was, Jesus had usurped all of their cultural, all of their religious imagery to glorify himself. You couldn't turn right or left without seeing Jesus in everything. Everything in the world speaks of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, the life that we might have in him. Everything speaks of fall is a season of death. Christ comes at Christmas. Spring is the season of life, right? The five-tiered fountain down there, you know, next to Bryn Mawr Trust Company in Ardmore reminds us of Jesus. You know, running water in the creek by your house should remind you of Jesus. You know, uh, caterpillars becoming butterflies should remind you of Jesus. Whatever it is, it reflects Jesus, everything. Even the painful, sinful destruction of lives in war and human trafficking and slavery and poverty remind us of our personal and collective sin, which drives us to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Immersed in this imagery, the life and the word of Christ, empowered through the Holy Spirit, overflows in us to bring a message of peace and mercy, and grace, and joy, and hope, and all that to a lost and dying world. Filling and overflow is at the heart of God's plan for all of us. All of us. Churches struggle sitting down to write their mission and vision statements and all that stuff. Sometimes I hate that stuff. Jesus already gave it. And you know what I'm going to say. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus talking about himself. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, not because he's some control freak, but because it is life. It's where we get life. He's filled us with himself. He's filling us with his word. He's, in, he's sealed us in the Holy Spirit, the spirit who enables us to testify about Jesus. Filling and overflow are at the core of God's plan for us, at the core of God's plan. And let us note, these people gathered at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 had that common language, why did God make them speak in other tongues? 
this, I mean, redundant question, isn't it? It was, it, it was as if God is saying, this is a message that I want you to take back to your communities, your people. This is a message I want you to be filled with, and I want you to overflow it back to that nation that you've become home in, or you've made your home in. We baptized Catherine and, um, and Megan last week. That was an image of overflow. 6-8 supports the Halls who work in North Africa, right? That's an image of overflow. We, we support two women that I can't name uh, in the Middle East. That's overflow out there to the, those people groups they work in. I can't say it out loud. but um, There are two organizations that we support in that same area. Uh, and we are proud to do all that. Kim and I spent almost nine years in... Uh, South Sumatra, overflowing the gospel to the Lampungese Muslims. Sometimes even a small church, sometimes even you can overflow the gospel to the world. But what's that all mean to us? What's that mean to us? It means there's an open invitation to participate in the kingdom of God all the time, right here, right now. It doesn't mean you're blessed just to be blessed. It, it means you're blessed to be a blessing. It does mean that God wants you to enjoy your blessing, but it also means you're to pour it back out. It means that God pours himself out into you so that you might pour him out in overflow to others. It means you have an opportunity through 6-8 to overflow to each other, to this local community and out into the world through our community groups, through the ministries that we involved in ourselves in, like the prison ministry, which we're going to hear about in a few minutes, and other opportunities that we're going to be developing or have developed in the past. It means to borrow a phrase, keep it simple, stupid, right? That's from like recovery groups. They always say, keep it simple, stupid, right? Just keep it simple. It's not complicated. This is not rocket science. But in this day and age, we can get so distracted with sexy programs and flashy speakers on the Internet, podcasts, this and that. You know, people that may preach a great theology and a, a great doctrine and all that kind of stuff, but they don't live in our, co- our, our local context. And they are divorced from relationship with you. So they can preach all that stuff, but it doesn't translate to anything. You feel good listening to it, but man, practice doing the, doing, the, doing the work, doing the kingdom, right? We are a local church with a global mission, uh, with, which won't happen uh, without being lived out in this local context. If we don't do it here, we won't do it there, right? So global mission is always tied to the local church and what we're doing in our own community and with our own people around us, right? So as the local church who serves the local context of the Eastern Main Line, we need this year, I think, to do three things really well. And that's, if you read in the, the uh, newsletter, we're going to talk about these in the fall. Worship, word, and witness. Those, those three words have just been on my head, in my brain, rattling around there for a long time now. And we're going to begin to see, if we can do those th- three things really well, we're going to see a natural overflow 
to each other, to our family and friends, to the community around us, and to the world. Remember, not everybody who grows old grows up. We don't. So we, we, as we journey forward together, let's be filled. Let's overflow. Let's participate. And, you know, there are just some very simple spiritual practices <coughs> that are important for us to keep going and keep doing as we do these things. Have a daily quiet time. Be in prayer. Do a daily examine. I mean, have you ever gone through like weeks where you've not prayed at all? And then you like lay there and you try to do it and you're like, you're just stuck. Pray for our missionaries. Have you ever prayed for our missionaries? If you need information, call me. Pray for our prisoners. Uh, Moses, why don't, why don't you and Zoe come on up and um, they're going to share a little bit about that. Pray, pray for three people in your life to come to Christ in the next few months. That you would get to share the gospel with these people, right? Uh, so we're going to hear from Zoe and Moses really quick. There's the mic. 